All right, so we want to continue on. We're getting to the, toward the end of our study on Jude. This was a short book, and we've made it a long study, but there's a lot to be studied in short books sometimes. And uh, as we've been discussing Jude, we've been finding it very interesting and through even some difficult truths of God's word, and we see the passion for his children in all the things that God has in store for us. You know, it's one thing, it's interesting to note that Jude and all the New Testament writers understood one thing very clearly, and that is that it requires perseverance to live the Christian life. Every day has its own battles. Every day has its own struggles, doesn't it? We might have conquered one yesterday and think we're on the t mountaintop and never to come down into the valley, only to find when you wake in the morning there's a new phone call or something that's come into our lives that's a, a new battle, a new struggle. So how do we get through that? One day at a time. Like the old, pro like the old proverb says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So you have to persevere through all that. And that's what Jude is reminding his readers of today. And the, the, the lives that they were living in then is not a whole lot different than it is today for us. You know, the devil hasn't changed much either. He's just getting more subtle, more sly in his ways. So today we want to focus on what it means to persevere to the end no matter what it takes. Don't give up in the process. Life would throw all kinds of things at us, and it would want to tempt us to give up and say, oh, not worth it, time to give up and give in. And Jude is, is here to tell us today to hang in there. And uh, that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how do we do that. So let's open up our Bibles to Jude. Jude, we're going to read verses 17 through 21. Do you want to stand with me, if you would, please? And let's read this together as we would. Jude 17 through 21. He says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And we pray that you would help us decide, discern it, divide it, um, that we would be able to digest it, that we'd be able to bring it into our lives and it would make applicable sense to us today. So do what you do best, Father. Holy Spirit, just come alive in your word and let us understand what you have for us in everything that's said and done in, in, this, in this day we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Jude begins verse 17 once again by reminding his, his readers to remember something. This is, this is not a young congregation that he's speaking to or, or a young group of readers. These are um, believers that have been educated in God's word and like we are today. We are a, an older gener a generation. We are an, um, a, a pretty much a well-versed congregation today and, and we understand a lot of what God's word is saying. So I think it's appropriate for me to say, remember, remember what you already know. And that's what Jude is saying to his people today. The Living Translation says, ta, uh, records verse 18 and 19 this way. He says that in the last times, in the last times, there would come scoffers whose whole purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable. They stir up arguments. They love the evil things of the world. They do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. So Jude is making it very clear amongst the people in the church that there are those that have fallen, that have left their original place. It's that same way today. There are people in the church today that have started off strong and maybe left and maybe fallen away from their original position. So who are these people? Who are these people that we're talking to? I think it's important that we define the best we can the people that we're speaking of, 
So to, to define this, turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. The Living Bible says it this way. But the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, again, Jude was saying in the last times there will come scoffers. So 1 Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, in the last times, in, some in the church will turn away from Christ and become eager follower, followers of teachers with devil-inspired ideas. These teachers will tell lies with straight faces and do it so often that their consciousness won't even be bothered by them. That's blatant deception, folks. That is just all-out blatant deception. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're saying the same lives over and over again that they don't even feel bad over it. That's how brutal it is in the last days. And I think that's what we're seeing in some of the circles of influence that we might run in or we might see it in different areas of life. But my Bible translation or my Bible commentary gives a little bit more insight. So bear with me. Let's read a couple passages here, a couple areas here. This is um, from the a, a Bible commentary that I wrote. It says that the Holy Spirit has clearly revealed and warned that in the end times, many people will fall away from personal faith in Jesus Christ and reject the truth of God's word. This will include two major groups that both have significant influence in the Christian community. All right, these two major groups. Number one, some highly gifted and empowered ministers that may have accomplished great things for God, but in the end, they will turn from the faith and give in to the deception and enticements of evil spirits and teachings. And because of their positions and past accomplishments, they will lead many astray. So the first group are spiritual leaders, pastors, teachers, that have once started off very strong and maybe even done miracles, maybe even had a, had a prophetic ministry, but subtly the enemy has twisted some of their theology and twisted some of their, their thinking and um, finding now that they're leading many astray. The second group says many lay, many lay believers. Lay believers are people in the church. People in the church will abandon their faith because they will fail to love the truth enough to defend it and obey it in the face of intense proposition. Many will give in to the pressure to accept the social norms of evil in the end days and will not tolerate the truth of God that challenges the lifestyle that promised them ease of choice. So the influence that leaders have, whether they are formal leaders or informal leaders, is great. And they can either lead us closer to Christ or they can lead us away from Christ. And we need to be careful that we spend enough time in God's word to know the difference. That we have a discernment about us. That we don't allow a false teacher or a false brother or sister to lead us away from the things of God. And we also have to be careful that we protect our own lives against that kind of deception. We need to be careful that we don't fall into that same category, one of those two categories. So I want to spend the next time we have here to talk about how do we protect ourselves? What do we do to protect ourselves from being in that one of those two groups? Let's go back to our text. Jude 20 and 21. It says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I find it interesting that Jude says that we are to build up ourselves, that we're to do something here. I know that we have the Holy Spirit is given to us to be a paraclete or a guide or a counselor. We have that promise as given in John chapter 14. It says 16, in John 14, 16 through 17, it says, Jesus is praying, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. So we have the Holy Spirit here. 
But yet Jude makes it very clear that we have a responsibility to do the work of building up ourselves. Isn't it interesting that it's not just the Holy Spirit to come in and do the work for us, that we have a responsibility to build ourselves in the Spirit. We have to do the work. The Holy Spirit will help us. We're not doing this alone. Thank the Lord for that. But I think that's where many people miss it. I think many people miss the fact that once saved, that they have work to do, that they have a responsibility to learn more of God's principles and then apply God's principles in their lives so that they are building themselves up in the holy faith. Not in our faith, but in the holy faith. And that's what Jude's going to talk about. And he gives us some great instructions as we go ahead. You know, it's important that we do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, we need to do it for ourselves. But then we need to do it for those that God is entrusting us to take care of. How, we've all been on an airplane, right? A jet airplane, right? And you're sitting there and you're um, waiting to take off and the stewardess comes along and they give us all the instructions of what happens in an in a, in a emergency. Even flying over the continental United States, they'll tell us that we've got a life jacket under our seat in case we have to ditch it in the lake and we're flying over perfectly good ground, but they have to tell us the instruction anyways. But something else they say that if at any given time that the cabin loses pressure, and an oxygen mask drops down from the ceiling, it says, put your own on first before you help the person sitting next to you. Now, is that selfish? Or is that just called preservation and wisdom? That we put our own oxygen mask on first so that, w so that we can help the person sitting next to us because what happens if we have a problem putting it on the person sitting next to us and we can't get it, we can't, we can't get it on them and we end up losing our own oxygen and now we both pass away. We both pass out for lack of oxygen. So when Jude tells us that we are to keep yourselves, build up yourselves in biblical foundations, that's not to be selfish for yourself. It's to make sure that you're on biblical solid foundations so that you can help your neighbor so that you can do the things that are necessary for those people that live in the area around your air circle of influence. So how do we do this? Well, there are four steps that I want to talk about. Number one is that we need to get into God's Word and we need to study it. Number two, we need to pray in the Spirit. Number three, we need to remain under the care and influence of God's love. And then fourthly, by living with great desire and anticipation for Jesus' return and for the eternal glory that follows. So I want to take the next few minutes that we have. Pastor Rip said I had an hour, but I probably won't take an hour, Rip. Um, but I want to talk about these four principles. Let's talk number one, getting into a solid Bible reading and studying habit in our lives. Now we spoke last week, we emphasized reading the Bible pretty heavily. And I think for good reason. The Bible is our source of information. Let me say that again. And maybe I can get an amen. The Bible is our source of information. Amen. We don't go to the commentaries to get our information. We go to a commentary to maybe highlight portions of it or maybe to help us understand a little bit more of it and from a different perspective. But we have to make sure that we're keeping the Bible as our focus and our single source of information that we build our life on. The Bible does not ever go out of date. It does not go out of style. It doesn't lose its impact because we're in 2021. Our intelligence today does not supersede the wisdom of God's word, right? Nothing supersedes that. It, it's, it's an amazingly alive book that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is to be read under the same inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're not to rewrite it in that inspiration, but we're to read it with the Holy Spirit inspiring us to bring those words and that page alive to us to make it perfectly relevant to the life, to the day that we're living in right now. Make sense? And how many here have read the Bible and seen it happen that way? 
that you've actually read the word and it's come alive and said, wow, that is exactly what I needed to hear today because it's given me the answer that I need to have exactly for the time that I'm living in, for the issue that I'm dealing with. It's an amazing book. And God so badly wants us to open it so that he can reveal his truths to us. You know, the enemy will come along with the thing called cheap grace. Cheap grace can be defined as once you're saved, once you've been forgiven, you don't have to do anything more. Just live in that. It doesn't go any deeper than that. But God's word gives us an empowering grace that takes us through the area of forgiveness into the area of change, where now we, it, the, the Spirit wants to change us. And here's the beautiful, beautiful part about that, is that no man is changing you. I can't change you. Your wife or husband can't change you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that through the grace of God's Word that's empowering us to want to change. You know, the, 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 the flesh man is very strong. We don't do things normally that we don't want to do. We avoid the hard things in life most of the time. True? I mean, we typically find the, le- the path of least resistance and focus our time on that. That's just who we are. But God's word will take us down that path. And here's the beautiful thing about it. It's not a burden to change when the Holy Spirit is leading you in the change. When the Holy Spirit is leading the change, he prepares the way. He straightens out that crooked path and makes it straight. And now we just walk the path that the Holy Spirit is is leading us on. And all of a sudden, that change that yesterday seemed so difficult and so impossible, that bondage was so difficult and so encompassing, because the Holy Spirit is leading me, all of a sudden, it's just like I just take one step and it gets down the right path. I take another step, I'm down the right path. And I just keep following the steps, and it's not burdensome to do that. It's only burdensome when I have a foot on one side of the fence and a foot on the other side of the fence, and I'm trying to take the next step. That fence between my two feet are keeping me, and that's a burdensome issue then, and that's a painful issue. But when I go in all in, it's amazing. It's amazing how God's empowering grace will give us the perseverance needed to get to the next day. I love that about God's holiness. I love that about the Holy Spirit, about his, his provision and his relationship. So how do we handle God's word? 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul talks to his spiritual son, Timothy, and this is what he says. He says, work hard. Work hard, Timothy, so that you can present yourself to God and receive his re- approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and one who correctly explains the word of truth. Like everything else in life, what is worthwhile takes effort, right? This is what Vicki was talking about a little bit. We're going to have some hard things that are going to come our way, but hard is not bad. Hard is hard. But we still walk in it. We still persevere in it because when we persevere in that, it's going to be good in the end. What I work for, I appreciate so much more than what is given to me freely. Amen? And I'm not saying that we're working for our salvation, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as a result of our salvation, now we work hard to gain good biblical foundation so that we can have a solid life in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says this, solid food is for those, Hebrews 5.15, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and and wrong. Again, how do we achieve that? By learning, by reading God's word, by seeking the Holy Spirit's wisdom, by seeking his discernment. It's a training of our spirit man to learn and discern what is really good and bad in the eyes of God so that we really can love what God loves and hate what God hates. We need to know what that is. How can I do right or wrong if I don't know what right or wrong is? I do that by training myself in God's word. 
and we develop this discipline through time in prayer and godly reading and study, and it's a continual practice of obedience. And this is where praying in the Holy Spirit comes in. Second thing we do, we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. We are to pray in the Spirit according to God's perfect will. Prayer is the focus of everything. Prayer is the focus of everything. But even more specifically, it's praying in the Spirit in accordance with God's will that brings it to pass. See, I can pray about lots of things. I can pray, God, I, I really, really, really want a pink Cadillac. Green, I, but, I, but I want pink. I've been to pink, and I want a pink Cadillac. But God would say, Mike, you don't need a pink Cadillac. You know what I mean? So I can pray, 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 I can fast and pray, but God says, no, it's not in your mind, it's not in my best will for you. So, you know, I can pray myself into frustration too. I can pray myself in circles. I can pray against something, I can pray for something, and God's saying, Mike, I, I'm just trying to tell you, it's not, it's not for you. It's not, what you. it's not what you can handle. It's not what I want for you. So part of learning how to pray is learning how to discern what God's will is in my prayer time. See, praying for a Christian should be a common everyday thing. I shouldn't be have to tell. Remember, I should, this is what Jude says. Remember, <laughs> praying for a Christian is an everyday common thing. Yet, to be honest, it's a hard thing to do sometimes. Amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? Why is that, do you suppose? Why is it? Why is it hard to pray? Well, I had a few lists. Maybe, maybe it's because we don't believe God hears our prayers. Maybe sometimes we're so down and discouraged that we don't think that God really cares. We've talked about it. It was in the interpretation of the of the uh, of message in tongues this morning was sometimes we don't wonder where God's at. Maybe it's because we don't get what we pray for the first time, so we don't think we should ask a second time. Maybe we said, well, God, I, I said I prayed once for it, and maybe you haven't given it to me, so maybe, um, all right, I'm not going to bother you anymore about that one, so I stopped praying about it. Maybe it's because we think we're bothering God by talking to him. Maybe because we think it's all about us asking for the wrong reasons and maybe we feel guilty. Maybe we feel guilty because we haven't prayed enough earlier to, ask for, to expect God to, to answer this prayer because there's a guilt thing going on. There's a lots of reasons. And you could go on and on and on, I'm sure, trying to figure out reasons why we don't pray enough. But maybe the, the, maybe the real question is, or maybe the real issue is, maybe we, maybe we don't understand what prayer is. Maybe we need to figure that out first. I think we could spend many Sundays trying to figure this out. But I don't have the time to do that today, so let me focus on what I think is the most important factor of prayer. I think the most important, the most, the most important question we can ask God when we pray is, God, what is it that you want to accomplish in my life? What is it that you want me to pray about? And then give me the ability to pray according to your will in this situation. And that doesn't take away our faith. You know, you, when you say, God, I'm going to pray about this situation, but I'm going to pray according to thy will be done, that's not saying that you have to tell God because God doesn't know how to answer the prayer. So you have to tell God because God isn't smart enough to figure it out, so you're going to tell him how to do it. If that's what prayer is, then I don't need a lot of faith to do that. I just say, God, I'm the boss, and you follow my plan. And that's how we pray ourselves into frustration. But when I can understand that God really wants me to follow and line up and get in tune with what he wants, then I can start learning how to pray according to his will. And when I do that, I'm assured that God will answer that prayer when I can figure his will out. First John chapter 5, 
verses 14 and 15, the writer John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, and many times we'll stop there, if we ask anything, he will hear us. But let's read what it's saying, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The contemporary English version translation says it this way. Again, just a little different translation, maybe help us understand it a little bit more. It says this, and we are sure of this, that he will listen to us whenever we ask him for anything in line with his will. And if we really know he is listening, then we will talk to him and make our requests. Then we can be sure that he will answer us. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. But let me say where this begins with. This, it gets complicated when I'm not totally surrendered and submitted to God's will in my life. This is where we have a responsibility to do what we have to do before we go to God sometimes in prayer. In other words, we need to make room, okay? Like the song said, we need to make room by doing what? By surrendering this is my surrender. This is my surrender. That I'm going to make room for you to rearrange my furniture. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to surrender to you so that I give you the opportunity to do what you want to do in my life, not what I want you to do in my life, because what you want to do will ultimately be much better and much more effective than what I could ever figure out on my own anyways. So why don't I just pray that way? Why don't I just start that way? And, and that doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect because I can't live a perfect life and neither can you. So I want to take that guilt off you. I want to take that condemnation off you. It's not that you have to be perfect to be in the will of God. You just need to be forgiven. You need to come with a heart of repentance and say, God, I, I'm gonna, I've, I messed up again today, and I'm sorry for that, and, and I really don't want to mess up again tomorrow in the same way. So I repent, and I go the other direction. And so then you get yourself back in that relationship with God, and you, and, and you stay there, and then you pray there, and you let, him, you let him be the focus. But don't let the focus be your perfection. Because if, you're, if the focus is your perfection or my perfection, there I go into the, and I get into that area of frustration again because I'm going to pray to be frustrated because I'm thinking I have to be perfect. And I can't be perfect, but I can be forgiven. And I can have proper relationship with the Lord as I continue to trust him. And the more I pray that way, the more my faith increases and, my, and the more my dependence on God increases and the more, I am, the more able I am to listen and hear him. And to be and hear his heart, and when I pray in the Spirit, this is the primary benefit of being Spirit baptized, Holy Spirit baptized. The heavenly prayer language is really, really important here, folks. It is so important that we depend on the Holy Spirit to pray through us in ways we don't understand. And I know that that's that's complicated today in today's world because so many people want to fight against that. They don't want to deny that it's for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 14. Paul says, For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in my spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. What Paul is saying is really powerful here. Because what Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit encompasses the person that's Spirit-filled. I mean, you become one with the Spirit. And you pray in your language that you can understand when you can, and when you can't, you just surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, pray through me because I can't figure it out. I'm at my wit's end and I'm just coming to you and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to pray through me. And when you pray through me, when the Holy Spirit prays through you, because the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, he would never pray contrary to God's will. 
So if he's going to pray through you, you can rest assured that he's praying perfectly according to God's will. That's the power of a heavenly prayer language. And that's why the enemy wants to make this such a complicated topic. And that's why the enemy wants to throw all kinds of other delusions and other distractions and distortions about praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's such a difficult topic in some churches. Because the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to pray through a problem if you will allow him to by spending time praying through the Holy Spirit and letting him develop that language in you and a whole vocabulary of Holy Spirit words that only God knows. When you pray in the Spirit, you're leaving the devil on the sidelines wondering, what are you talking about? Because he has no idea what you're saying. So he can't give you a false answer. Or he can't give you a distraction because you're praying in the Spirit. It's a heavenly prayer language. We must remember that the Holy Spirit has a personality, just like Jesus does. And just like God the Father does. So when the Holy Spirit wants to work in you, don't be surprised when you feel an emotion. That you feel something rise up with you that maybe you didn't experience before because it's the Holy Spirit's personality coming out in your life. And it's fun and it's encouraging and it's exciting and it's good and it's new. Paul also said to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, he says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we do not know what God wants us to pray for. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us as believers in harmony with God's own will. So when I pray in the Spirit like this, the, pray, the Spirit is praying through me in a way that I may not understand it, but he's fully aware of everything that's going on. Fully aware of the situation, and I just need to trust him as I pray in the Spirit. A commentary says this, Praying in the Spirit can make our prayers more effective. When we don't have the words to fully express our needs to God, the Holy Spirit can through us. Although we may not see things clearly, the Holy Spirit does. And when Spirit-filled believers use their prayer language in private times, the Holy Spirit is actually praying through them in perfect agreement with God's character, desires, and purposes. That's awesome, isn't it? That's, 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 it's great. It's a great news. It's great. And here's the second part of this. This is the part that requires us in our perseverance a little bit. The second part of this is then we need to learn what it means to stay in the presence of God, asking him for an interpretation of what I just prayed for in the spirit, even if I'm by myself. We can ask him for that. Now, in a public setting like this, it's out of order if we don't have an interpretation with a message in tongues because we are edifying the body. But when I'm by myself in my own heavenly prayer language, my own prayer time, I can pray in the Spirit and not have to have an interpretation because that's a different kind, that's a different purpose, that's a different use of the Holy Spirit's prayer language. But it's not wrong for me to say, Father, what did I just say? What did I just say? Help me to understand what it is that you're praying so now I know how to pray in words as well. Or I need to understand more and more what you're trying to do in my life. So practice that. Stay in the presence of the Lord until you get that. Don't rush out. So many times I think we discount and we discredit and we, we hurt ourselves because we don't spend enough time in that kind of prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Remember what we're trying to do. Remember what we're trying to do. We're building ourselves up in our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, we keep ourselves in God's love as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. That's why we're talking about it. That's what we're doing now. So I have to stop making excuses of why I'm not praying enough. At the same time, don't feel guilty on it. 
I'm not, I'm not bringing condemnation. I'm just saying we need to come to the point in time where we say, God, I'm, I'm done making excuses. I'm just want, I just want to pray more. I just want to be in your presence more. And I know you may say, well, Mike, but it's easier for you to do that because you're a pastor and you're paid to pray, right? I mean, <laughs> that's my job. Well, yeah, but I'm still a person just like you are. I still have issues just like you are, and I have to come and pray in my prayer time. And here's the thing. It, 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 this is not a comparison mode. God is not comparing who prays more. That's not the point at all. But maybe you have to adjust some of your schedule. Maybe if you're going to spend time in prayer like that, maybe you need to recognize how important it is that you spend time in prayer and not just the pastor. You see, God knows your busy schedule. And he knows your heart in the matters that you're praying about. My dad would say this when I would come report card time. He said, Mike, I can't, be, I can't make you be smart. All I want to know is, did you give your best effort? You see, what it did is it put the pressure back on me, not on the teacher. Because he said, did you give your best effort? And if your, bef- if, if your best effort is a C, okay. But if I didn't give my best effort, then I have work to do. And here's the thing. I could fool my dad. And I did. Well, so I thought. And I'd say, yeah, dad, I worked really hard. and That was all I could get. Knowingly inside, I could have done better. But when I go to prayer, God knows my heart. So we need to stop making excuses. God, I don't have time to pray. When he says, eh, you do. <laughs> you do. You just need to readjust your schedule. You need to go over here a little bit. And, and so how then can we get upset with God if we're not having unanswered prayers if we're really not doing our job first. Now, I, I know I'm getting in a gray area. I'm getting in a touchy subject because we can't put God in a box and say, okay, God, I prayed enough now, so now you've got to answer my prayer. No, we have to let God be sovereign in that fact, in that matter. But we need to make sure that we really truly are doing the best we can do. The best we can do. Whatever that means. If you know, you know if you're wasting time. You know if, if you could do better. And I'm just going to leave it there. You figure that out. The next thing we do, number three, is we need to remain under the care and influence of God's love. We need to remain under the care and influence of God's love. And this goes right along with praying in the Holy Spirit. The question is, is that how do we do that? How do we remain in God's love? We know God loves us. That's a fact. But how do I remain in God's love? Jesus told us this. John chapter 15, verse 10. He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. You see, Jesus put himself under the same constraints of obedience as our, our constraints of obedience. Jesus did not have the right to go out of God's commandments and still expect God to hear his prayers no more than we do. Think about that. He had choices to make like we have choices to make. Jesus could have chose to sin, but he chose not to. He chose to make, remain in, his, in God's love through his obedience to God's commands for what his will for his life was. I'm the same way, and you're the same way. We don't have an excuse here. 1 John 5, 3 through 5, it says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Hear that. That's really amazing. His, burden, his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and obey his commandments, because that's what it says. That's the word all means that. Godly obedience and commitments are not given so that we can compromise them. And it's not burdensome in the least. I just want to remember, I just want to encourage you that to stay under God's care and his love 
is not burdensome for those that are, have both feet in. Amen. And finally, number four, by living with great desire and anticipation for Jesus' return and the eternal glory that follows. This, I think, is the key point, for me at least. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, folks, we're not in this life to stay here. We're not here to make this the best place to be because this is going to be our eternity. No, we're here. We're passing through this place. So when I can keep my heart so in tune with that and I can keep my focus, my eyes focused on, on Christ, I, then the, the, the cares of this world grow dim. And it changes my perspective. And I'm not saying this isn't a good world to live in. It is a beautiful world to live in. And we're to enjoy this world as much as we can. But we're not to let it become a burden to us by it becoming so beautiful that we don't want to leave it. <laughs> I want to leave this world. Because I know what God has in store for me is so much better than this world. And here's a beautiful thing. We're going to come back to this world in a perfect state. And it's going to be amazing so when I can keep my anticipation levels high on the return of Christ, it keeps me focused in on his foundation, and I don't get rattled by the world. And no matter what's going on around me, I just look at it and say, God, you have so much more in store for me. So much more in store for me. Jackie, would you come? You know, as we are in the last couple messages of Jude here, we've seen him be very direct in his judgments on false teachers. Now, we didn't spend, we didn't go verse by verse through that part because we don't need to. You can read that and you can see God's anger and God's judgment on false teachers. And I don't want to burden you with that because hopefully that's not your problem. But it is important that we see God's passion and God's jealous love for us so that he, so we can appreciate how much he cares about what we think and what we do so that we don't get off track anywhere in our life. The beautiful thing is we have nothing to fear here, folks. We have nothing to fear. The enemy's a liar. And everything we fear here on this earth will burn up. And only the things that are kept in heaven will survive. That means your prayer time, your Bible reading. Paul encouraged the Romans with these words. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to cherry pick here. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm cherry picking a few messages, a few passages in Romans chapter 8. But let's read this together. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, re will be revealed in us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. We are assured the victory. We are the promised ones, and God's promises are a yes and amen. And as we commit ourselves today, my encouragement is to all of us today, commit yourselves to a higher level of whatever you were yesterday. I'm not saying commit yourself and match somebody else. Don't match Pastor Rip's prayer time or Pastor Leland's or Pastor Al's or anybody else's or your wife's but just increase your own. Whatever that is, wherever you were at yesterday, go one step further tomorrow and then watch what God does. Watch how he brings blessings into your life and how, watch how he brings things to pass that will bring answers to your prayer as you take one further step every day closer and then tomorrow closer and the next day closer. 
Yeah, you may have a couple days where you slip back a little bit, but don't worry about that. God understands. He forgives. But just don't give up. Persevere. Persevere to the end. And if you need any help at any time, don't be afraid to call their brother or sister. Don't be afraid to say, I need a little help. I'm slipping a little bit here. I've fallen down and I can't get up here. That's what we do for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We help them up. It's not how many times you've fallen, it's how many times you get up. Just get up. And if you got to make a phone call, make a phone call. And here's the beautiful thing about it. If you do that, chances are, chances are if he's a spirit-filled brother or sister, he's already been praying for you in the spirit. Because sometimes when we pray in the Holy Spirit prayer language, we, we don't know what we're praying for, but we might be praying for my brother that's fallen. And all of a sudden, when they call to me, I just got the answer because I don't even know I got the answer. But what I say is exactly what needed to be heard because I'm praying in the Spirit and my Spirit's in tune with what's happening in His life because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. He works outside of the influence of what I see, but what He knows. That's why we need each other. That's why we can't do life alone. That's why we need to be spirit-filled people in a spirit-filled church to hold up other people that need help at any given time. Pray in the Spirit. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that this message would just sink into our hearts today that we would know what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. Father, that our hearts would be so tuned to you at any given time that no matter what is happening through the day, that we could stop for a moment and just close our eyes and just speak the words. Whether in our language or not in our language, that we could just be on a, in a constant, continual mode of prayer at any given time that we can just stop for a moment and just pray as the Spirit leads us to pray. That in that time that we would be effective and productive in the kingdom, help us, Father. That would help us to stay in obedience to you as well. It would help us to, in those times of temptation, that we would know how to pray in that time of temptation. Rather than give in, we would pray. Help us to understand what prayer really is that it's finding your heart on the matter, not just praying my wish list, getting my wants and needs confused. Father, we're making room for you today. <laughs> we're making room to you, for you today, Holy Spirit. Move our furniture. Rearrange our lives. morning, if that's your prayer, would you stand up with me? If that's your prayer, that you want to make room. And I'm just going to open the altar this morning. Just take a couple minutes. If that's your heart, and you want to just make a new commitment today, to be a little bit better than you were yesterday, would you just come to the front and spend two minutes in prayer making a commitment say Father I want more and I'm willing to make that commitment Jackie would you lead us
Father, help us not to be so impatient all the time. Help us to be patient in our prayer time with you. Help us just to spend time dwelling in your presence. Father, I just pray that you would just give us a desire for more of you. And that we would let this world just fall off. Let the cares of this world, as important as they are, they're not as important as you. Help us to understand that and help us just take time to be in your presence. Yeah, Jesus, we love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We praise your name. Father, go with us as we go through this, our life. Lord, help us to be focused in on you, Lord, anticipating what you have for us today. Excited about tomorrow. Excited about that soon coming return that we're going to meet you in the air, Jesus. We're going to hear that trumpet call someday, and we're going to be, we're going to meet you in the air to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb to celebrate with you there. And Father, whether we are here when that trumpet blows, or you take us home beforehand, either way, Father, it's an amazing homecoming for us. And we're excited. We're looking forward to that. But give us the wisdom on how to work this life until that day comes. We surrender to you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today, folks. Be blessed and encourage yourselves in the